Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to a uh, new format at the moment for the Shear, a new location. We are under the stars. We are outside because we live in Victoria. Go figure. And thank you for joining us. So those listening on the podcast, the shear is going to be slightly shorter than usual because we're fitting into a between Mincha and Mariv slot. So the shear will be about 40 minutes, uh, but we will carry on from where we were in previous weeks. And we are up to Perak Kafbet Pasuk Yudtet. We're actually in the middle of the Pasuk. But just to recap on where we've been, we are in Saddam, or in fact, we're just outside Saddam. Um, the angels have come to destroy Saddam and they've taken Lot and his family outside. And they say in Pasuk Kafbet, sorry, and Lot has asked a special favor for the one of the five cities which is being destroyed, not to be destroyed, the city of Tsoar, because he fears he wants to go there rather than to go to the mountain. And he discussed that with one of the Malachim previously. Um, and um, in Posuk Kaf Aleph, the Malach said, nasati I've, uh, You've uh, found favor. Uh, I, I'm going to favor you also for this thing. Not that I will destroy. I will not destroy the city of which you spoke. And then he says, the Malach continues and says, um, Hurry up, um, move there because I am not able to do anything until you come there. And then it says, Therefore, the city, the name of the city was called Soar. So we did the first part of Rashi on that Pasuk last week, but now I want to do on the words of the second Kilo Uchal. So it's the second comment of Rashi on the Pasuk. And it says, Kilo Uchal, says Rashi, Loshan Yachid. This is a singular. I am not able, as opposed to we are not able. Says Rashi, Mikan atalomet. From here you learn, She'echad hofech fe'echad matzil. That one of the angels was coming to uh, invert, literally to uproot the city. Fe'echad, and one of them was coming to save Lot. She'ein bet melachim nishlachim ledabar echad. Because two melachim are not sent for one thing. So the fact that it one malach says, I am not able to do the thing, shows that it was one malach per job. Rashi has mentioned this in a few places. Um, at the very beginning of the parsha, he said um, on Perak Yudchet Pasuk Bet, in Eishalosha Anashim, behold, there are three men. And there he says also, She'ein malach echad shluchot, that one malach can't do two jobs. Now, what is interesting, and the reason I went back to Pasuk Kaf Aleph, is we also had a singular expression there. Uh, if you go back again to Pasuk Kaf Aleph, I won't destroy the city which, of which you spoke. Again, I won't destroy. So the question is asked, why does Rashi wait until Kaf Bet on the words Kilo Uchal to say, aha, look, you've got a singular expression there. Why didn't he say it on Kaf Aleph, on the words, 
I will not invert the city, or rather, I won't invert the city until you've got there. Um, and to make the question sort of stronger, or at least to parallel the question, something very interesting. In Perak Yudchet Pasuk Bet, where Rashi introduced this rule that one malach can only do one job, he said there, and I'm reading from Rashi on Yudchet Bet, Teidalacha, you shall know, Shekein Kala Parsha Humas Kiran Balashan Rabim. I'm sorry, uh, that's not the bit I want. Ubafahatikat Saddam Huamir. And when it came to inverting Saddam, it says, Kilo Uchala Asot Devala Vulti Hafri. I am not able to do. And then it quotes the Pasuk. In other words, Rashi uses a get, or rather, he's already used Pasuk Kafet as a proof that one Malach can do only one job. And he then, secondly, quoted Pasuk Kaf Alam. In other words, it's the same question, but I'm going to ask it in two ways. Number one, why does Rashi make this point on Kafet and not on Kaf Alam? And number two, when he quotes Kafet and Kaf Alam at the beginning of the Pasha, why does he quote them the wrong way round? He says, first of all, look at Kafet. And secondly, look at Kaf Aleph on the words uh, So I'm going to give an answer, which is not quite what the Divrei David said, but um, I think it sort of inspired me along these lines. And the answer is, in Kafet, it's a negative. I cannot do this thing. In Kaf Aleph, it's I won't do this thing until. So I can, uh, the Malach talking in Kaf Aleph says, I can uproot the city. But I'm not going to do it until you've got to your place of refuge. In Kafbet, he says, Kilo Uchal, I'm not able to do anything until you get there. In other words, Kafbet is a negative. And it seems to me, inspired by some things I saw, that when the Malach is speaking in a negative, it proves Rashi's point. Because if it were the case that two Malachim could do the same job, then there's no point in one Malach saying, I can't do it, because then we'd immediately ask, well, what about the other guy? Maybe the other Malach can do it. But the fact that he says, I can't do it, and that's the end of the story, shows that the other Malach is not involved. So that's why this is the best proof of all that one Malach per one job, which is what Rashi wants to say. And that's why he goes, he zeroes in on the Kafet example, and he says the Kaf Aleph example is secondary, and why at the beginning of the Pasha, he brings Kafet before he brings Kaf Aleph. Okay. And then the last thing uh, Rashi talks about is Now, let's just remember, especially because we're starting in the middle of a story. So there's this city called Soar. Originally, it was called Bella, but now it's called Soar. We learned that at the beginning of Perak Yud Dalad in this week's parasha, as it happens, um, of Lechlecha. And Lot says, please, can you save that city? I want to get there. Uh, and he says in... Uh, in Pasuk Kaf, he says, ha'ir hazod karova. The city is near. We'll talk about that later. Lanu shama to flee there. Bahiyamitzar, and it is small. Imalta na shama. I will move there, please. Hello mitzarhi. Again, it is small. Utchi nafshi, and my soul will um, live. So now, Pasuk Kafet, for the however many times I'm reading it again, says as follows. The Malach says, hurry up, go there, because I'm not able to do anything until you come there. Therefore, he calls the name of the city Tzoar. And Rashi says on the words, Al-Kain Kara Shema Al-Shem, because of 
Vehi mitzar. And it is little. That's a quote, a quote from Pasek Kaf. Rashi is telling you that when it says at the end of Kafet, therefore it's called Tsar, that's because of the way it was referred to in Pasek Kaf. What, what is the problem that Rashi is addressing? The problem of what is Al-Kain referring to? Al-Kain means therefore. It means A implies B. B is, he called the name of the city Tsar. The question is, what's A? What is it that implies, therefore, he calls the name of the city Tsar? Now, normally, you'd expect it to be the previous phrase. Whatever happens, therefore, he calls the name of the city Tsar. But the problem is that doesn't make sense in Kafet. Kafet says, hurry up and go there um, because I can't do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, he calls the name of the city Tsar. What is the second part of the passage got to do with the first part of the passage? Answer, nothing. Rashi is telling you, but the Al-Kain, therefore, refers back to Pesukim earlier. So it's going back to what was said in Pasuk Kaf, where it says, Mitzar, it is little. It's because of that that we mentioned two Pesukim ago. Therefore, the city is now to be called Soar. So the Al-Kain, uh, it therefore follows on from what was in the middle of Pasuk Kaf, and not from the beginning of Pasuk Kafet, as you would expect, because Al-Kain comes at the end of Pasuk Kafet. Now we move on to Pasuk Kaf uh, Gimel. Hashemesh Yatsar, the sun, came out, ala aretz, on the earth, the Lot bo Tsaara, and Lot came to Tsoar. In other words, it was morning, and Lot now arrived in Tsoar. Hashemesh Yatsar, the sun came out, it was morning, because the whole thing had taken place at night. And there's no Rashi on that at all. So we'll go straight on to Pasuk Kaftalov, which says, The Hashem, Himtir al-Saddam al-Amara. Hashem, Himtir from Matar, means made rain onto Saddam and onto Amara. Gafrit, sulfur, the ash and fire. Me'et Hashem, from Hashem, min Hashemayim, from heaven. So Rashi, first of all, says on the words, the Hashem, Himtir and Hashem. What does it mean, and Hashem? Kol makom Hashem. In every place where it says and, and Hashem, who ubet dino? It's him and his court. So we've heard of the idea that there's a heavenly court that Hashem consults with the Malachim. Um, when it said Naaseh Adam, we will make man. Rashi says there it's in the plural we because Hashem consulted with his court. And it's an idea that he makes, he brings up from time to time. And here he says, every place where it says Hashem and Hashem, it means he and his court. What is interesting is the phrase Hashem occurs 22 times in the Chumash, 100 times in the Tanakh. It's amazing how easily one can use a concordance on the computer and sound like you know the whole Tanakh, which I certainly don't. But it occurs 22 times in the Chumash. How many times does Rashi make this comment? Twice. Twice only. Here and in Shemot, Perut Yudbet, Pasuk Kaftet, with reference to, sorry, Lamatet, with reference to Makabachorov, the death of the firstborn. So in, out of 22 places, Rashi says it refers to every place, but he mentions it twice. Here and in the final plague in Mitzrayim, both of which were punishments. 
So Rashi's actually got two problems. The first problem is why the Bob? Okay, so it means Hashem and. I mean, how can you add to Hashem? So Rashi says it's the Bet Din. But Rashi's got another problem. And it is suggested that Rashi's other problem is the use of the name Hashem, Yudke Vavke, which is Midat Rachamim. It's the attribute of mercy. Normally when Hashem is punishing, we expect to find the name Elohim, which is the Midat Hadin, the attribute of judgment. And yet here, and in the other case quoted, it's a punishment and it's delivered by Hashem. So that also is the question that Rashi is answering. Not only what does he mean and Hashem, but why is it Hashem, the Midat HaRachamim, which is bringing a punishment? And the answer is Hashem consults with his Bet Din. So even though it's Hashem, which is Midat HaRachamim, when he takes a poll of his heavenly host, they might say, we need to punish. So obviously the whole idea of Hashem taking advice is something beyond our comprehension or beyond my comprehension. Hashem obviously by definition is omnipotent. He doesn't need to take advice, but sometimes he does in some sense. What that means and why is, I say, uh, I think beyond certainly my understanding, but it explains why even if it's Hashem who is Midat HaRachamim, if he takes his Bet Din and they might say, you've got to punish, and then he punishes, even though it's still the name of Hashem. Okay. Then it says, Himtir al Saddam, Ba'alot Hashachar, at the break of dawn. Now, it's saying that the rain of sulfur and fire came at Olot Hashachar, which is before Pasuk Kaf Gimel, where it says, Hashem the sun came out. And we also know that this was taking place in Olot HaShachar because we were actually told that explicitly in an earlier Pasuk. Um, yes, in Tetvav. Ukamo HaShachar Ola V'ya'itzu HaMalachim Balot. As the dawn was breaking, the Malachim were pushing on Lot. So it's Solon Tetvav, it happened at Olota Shachar. And Rashi tells us again that on the words for Hashem Himtir in Kav Dalad, it was happening when it said in Kav Vav in Olota Shachar. The problem is that it said in um, Kav, uh, sorry, Kav Gimel uh, that it was the sun came out. Now, those who get up early will know that Olota Shachar is before uh, Neitzachama, is before sunrise. So in Pasuk Kaf Dalet, Rashi tells us that something was happening in Olot Shachar, which is prior to Pasuk Kaf Gimel. It's out of order, which is now not necessarily a problem. We often say that the Torah is out of order, but not gratuitously so. But there is another solution to the problem. Because Rashi in Bereshit Perad Dalet Pasuk Aleph, gives us a grammatical rule. And he says, whenever the subject comes before the verb, it's not just a regular past tense, but it's the blue perfect, which means it's something that had already happened. And that is a grammatical rule that Rashi states there. He doesn't refer to a, a, a explicitly many other places. I'm not even sure he's supposed to explicitly at all, but he does refer to it implicitly. And this is such an example. So what we have in the case of Pasuk Kaftalat, the Hashem Himtir, subject followed by verb. 
which is not the more common expression in classical Hebrew of verb followed by subject. And therefore we can apply the rule that this is in the pluperfect, meaning Hashem had already caused the fire and sulfur to rain down on Sodom before Pasuk Kaf Gimel, before the sun came out. Now you might notice that Pasuk Kaf Gimel, the sun coming out also is in the form of subject followed by verb. So maybe you could say the same thing there, that the sun had already come out, but you can still, with the blue perfect, you can still say, but Hashem bringing down the rain and the sun, the fire and the sulfur had already happened even before that. And Rashi really is making the point, but it's before the sunrise when he says explicitly, it's at the time of the Olotoshacha. Um, now, uh, sorry, as it says in Pasuk Tetvav, as the dawn was breaking. Now, so having said that it was at the time the dawn was breaking, why is that significant? So Rashi tells us in the next few lines why it was specially done at the time the dawn was breaking and why that is specifically mentioned in Pasuk Tetvav and explained here. Why did Hashem choose to do this at the time the dawn was breaking? And he says, the time the dawn is breaking is It's the time when the moon stands in the sky together with the sun. So at dawn, the sun is coming up and the moon is going down and they're both there at the same time. Because there were amongst them people who worshipped the sun and of them who worshipped the moon. Hashem said, if I punish them by day, when the sun is shining, the worshippers of the moon would say, if it happened at night, when the moon is ruling, we would not be destroyed. And continues Hashem, if I punish them at night, but the worshippers of the sun would say, if it had been in the day, when the sun is ruling, then the sun, which we worship, would have protected us and we wouldn't have been destroyed. So what does Hashem do? Hashem is very clever. He doesn't want the worshippers of the sun to say, had it been at the daytime, we would have been saved. He doesn't want the worshippers of the moon to say, had it been at the nighttime, we would have been saved. Therefore, it writes, just at the time the dawn was breaking, when the sun and moon are both there, and he punished them at the time when both the sun and the moon are ruling. So nobody could say that we would have been saved at the other time if our heavenly God would have been in charge. Incidentally, there's a few things to say on this. Number one, so what is Rashi doing? He's saying why the Torah has to say it was Dafka at the time of dawn, but the final destruction came. And he's answered that by saying Hashem wanted to do it at a time when neither the sun worshippers or the moon worshippers could say, had our God been there, we would have been all right. Number two, it's interesting. Um, if, if Hashem is really worried about what the people of Sodom are going to think, because they're about to be dead, they're not going to do much more thinking. So maybe you can say that Hashem is worried about what other people will say who are not part of the destruction of Saddam, but they're watching what's going on. 
they might say, ah, had the moon been in charge, then Saddam over there wouldn't have been destroyed. Um, and it is interesting that um, the words lo hayinu charevim, we would not have been destroyed, in some versions are lo haim loku, they would not have been smitten, which makes more sense based on what I'm saying, but it's not the people of Saddam themselves, but it's the observers who were commenting. Our text of Rashi, lo hayinu charevim, makes doesn't really allow that interpretation because the people who are saying we would not have been destroyed, which raises the question, why, when are they going to say this? Because they're going to be dead anyway. The next thing to say is, I have to say, I'm always bothered how many people, lots of children and not a few adults think that the moon is always out during the night and the sun is always out during the day. This is not true. The moon is sometimes out at night and it's sometimes out in the day. The moon goes on a cycle of 29 and a half days and it sort of um, loops around the earth. Sometimes it's with the sun and sometimes it's the opposite of the sun. And therefore, sometimes that uh, dawn is precisely the time the sun and moon are both there. But often it is not. Interestingly enough, when is it that the sun and moon are both there at dawn? The answer is when there's a full moon. Because when there's a full moon, the sun and moon are exactly opposite each other and they just cross over at dawn. When, what date did this happen? What date was going, this whole destruction of Saddam happening? The answer is, did someone say? Pesach. We've learned already that it was all happening on the night of Pesach, which is the 15th of Nisan, which is the time when there's a full moon. So this would apply, but I can go even further because it doesn't always work when there's a full moon, but the sun and moon are both there at dawn, both in the same sort of um, uh, It will only occur at the equinox when the night and the day are roughly the same time. If it's in the height of the summer, the night will be much shorter and this dawn phenomenon won't work because the sun will come up much too early. If it's the height of the winter or depths of winter, the sun comes up too late. It only works around the equinox. In other words, the 15th of Nisan or the 15th of Tishri. So this Midrash is, that Rashi is quoting is very uh, finely tuned because this whole astronomical thing will only apply two days of the entire year. One of which is Pesach when it all happened. Okay. Then Rashi says on the words, Himtir Gafrit Ve'esh. Um, he made rain, um, sulfur and fire. Now, there's a problem there. There's a contradiction because I think I, what I'm in order to explain this, Rashi, I'm going to suggest and I'm, I'm not sure I'm right that the word to rain in Hebrew doesn't have quite the same connotation as it does in English. In English, it can be raining sulfur. It can be raining cats and dogs. I think Rashi's problem is in Hebrew. Rain is usually reserved for rain, i.e. water. So himtir means he brought water, but he didn't bring water. He brought gafrit for ish, sulfur and fire. So that's a problem. So Rashi says on that, but tehila matar, at the beginning it was rain, but naaser gafrit for ish. And then it became uh, sulfur and fire. So Rashi explains why it says him here, uh, and then there's like a change, and it then is not rain anymore, which was implied by the word him here, it's something else. Now that also explains 
something nice in the Pasuk, that it doesn't actually say, Hashem Himtir Gafrit Vaish. It says, Hashem Himtir Al Sadam Alamara Gafrit Vaish. Implying that the very structure of the Pasuk suggests a break between Himtir and the Gafrit Vaish. There's some sort of pause which fits in with the way Rashi explains it, that at first it was rain, and then it was something else after a pause. The next question is, why should it be rain first, followed by Gavrid Vesh? So although Rashi doesn't say it, um, others say that it was rather like um, the Mabul, where we know that Hashem said first normal gentle rain, and then he sent a flood. And Rashi there says he sent normal nice gentle rain, maybe they will do to shoot. Maybe they'll get the message that they should do the right thing. And similarly, you can suggest here, although Rashi doesn't say it explicitly, but that was Hashem's plan. But he sends them rain, which is always Geshme Bracha, which is like nice. And they would have said, ah, Hashem is sending us something nice. They would do Teshuvah, but they didn't do Teshuvah. So it turned into Gafrit Vesh. Then the Pasuk says, Me'et Hashem. And Rashi is bothered by that. And let me read through the Pasuk and you can perhaps hear what, what bothering Rashi. Hashem made rain on Sodom and Amora, Gafrit and Aish from Hashem. What would have been an easier way to say it? Hashem made rain from him. It's not, it's, it's clumsy, you might say, uh, as if one could say that, to have Hashem at the beginning and the same Hashem at the end when we could have just said, Hashem made it rain from him rather than Hashem made it rain from Hashem. To which Rashi says, on the words, Hashem, It's the way of Sukim, it's the way of scripture to talk like this. And then he gives a number of examples where somebody is named, even though if you look in the context, they've just been named. Kamo, for instance, Neshei Lemech. Now Lemech was the seventh generation after Cain, uh, at the end of Bereshit, there's a funny incident, and Lemech says to the wives of Lemech. It doesn't say Lemech said to his wives. So it's Lemech repeating. Below Amar, uh, sorry, Lemech said to his wives, he said, hey, you wives of Lemech. Below Amar, Rashad. And he didn't say my wives, which would have been like an easier way of saying it, but that's what scripture does. Sometimes it repeats the name. Bechein Amar David. David said, Take with you the servants of your master. He's referring to himself. And he didn't say, take my servants. And Achashverosh spoke in the name of the king. And he didn't say, in my name. So Afkan Amar, here also it says, May eight Hashem below Amar may ito, and it doesn't say from him. So basically, uh, and this is uh, perhaps too simple interpretation. I'm always nervous about giving a simple interpretation. But Rashi said there's a discomfort with the lashon with the expression just because it's got a Shem followed by Hashem. And the answer is Scripture does that. And here's three examples. Uh, I don't know why he has to bring three different examples. Um, maybe there is something distinct about each one, but I'm not aware of that. Yes. Um, 
an example of how scripture talks about that's just you know dummy either said something down there or he didn't whereas this is a narration of what happens in the third person okay so if anyone didn't hear that or if the recorder didn't pick it up that is a very good question and i have it myself and i don't have an answer i looked and looked for an answer the question is that all the examples are people speaking and they're speaking in the third person Lemech says, oh, wives of Lemech. He didn't say my wives. Um, it's a style that somebody speaks rather than the Torah speaking. Um, and um, I agree. Um, possibly the last one. That's, that's the, the, the Megillah is saying that Achashverosh said in the name of the king. That's, that's not direct speech. So that's closer. But even then, it's still somebody speaking. And it could have been Achashverosh said... In, in his name or in my name. So um, I, I certainly respect your question. I hear the question, I have it myself, but I couldn't find an answer. Okay, one more comment to Rashi on this Pasuk. Min Hashamayim. Hashem sent this Gafrit Ve'esh, this sulfur and fire from heaven. Says Rashi, Min Hashamayim, Husha'ama Hakatuv. This is what the Pasuk in Eov is saying. Kivam Yadin Amim. Because with them, that's the heavens, he will judge nations. Hashem judges nations using the heavens. How does he judge nations using the heavens? When he wants to punish or to uh, afflict the, uh, the people, he brings on them fire from heaven. Like he did to Saddam, as we've just been listening, just been reading. And when he wants to bring the man down from heaven, he brings it from heaven. <coughs> he says, behold, I make rain for you, same word, bread from heaven. So we see in this case and in the man case, they come explicitly from heaven. What is Rashi's problem? I think, again, I can answer Rashi's problem very simply. I mean, I can identify Rashi's problem very simply. Where else is fire and sulfur and maybe rain going to come from? Of course, it comes from heaven. It doesn't come from anywhere else. And if it's used the verb himtir, then obviously it comes down from the sky. So the words min hashamayim are superfluous. Says Rashi, no, they're not superfluous. Because especially when you compare them to the Pasuk about man, which I realize now is actually very um, 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 analogous because it's got the matir, matar at the beginning. Um, we see that Shamayim is the place from which Hashem sends both punishment and reward. And that's what the Pasuk is telling us. Okay, let's move on to Pasuk Kaf A. Yes, please. Um, yes. Yes, I know. I realize got the same question there. Yes, same question. So either my an uh, analysis that matar means rain is wrong, or we'd have to say over there why it used the words matar when it means bread. Good point. Okay. He turned upside down these cities. And the whole plain, the Ed Kol Ha'orim, and all the inhabitants of the cities, the Tzemach Ha'adama, and the sprouting of the earth. It was all inverted. Says Rashi, 
says Rashi, Arbatan, the four of them, Yoshvot Vesela Achad, were sitting on one rock. And he turned it upside down, or turned them upside down, from above to below. As it says in a Pazik in Eob, against the flinty rock, he set his hand. So Rashi is telling us sort of the geography, geology of the four cities. Why four? We'll come to that in a minute. And since the verb sounds like he did it all in one go, there was one single action of inverting, the Yahafoch. So how can it be that there was one single action of inverting if all the four cities were arranged around one structure and then all you have to do is lift up that structure and turn it upside down in one go. And that is how Rashi explains the Yafok. What's very interesting here is Rashi, as he often is, is quoting a Midrash. He comes straight from Midrash Rabbah. But there it says five cities. And Rashi has changed it. Now, this is assuming that Rashi's text of the Midrash said five. It's possible that Rashi's text of the Midrash said four, in which case there's nothing of significance whatsoever. But if Rashi's text of the Midrash said five, then this is a beautiful example of how Rashi uses Midrashim as a base, but he is not afraid to edit them or amend them as he sees fit. Why does he say four? Why does he say there were four cities inverted? Because so I was saved. Because Rashi's been reading the text carefully. The Midrash isn't Rashi. The Midrash isn't always so precise. And Rashi is more precise. So Rashi says, I'm not going to talk about five cities. There's only four being destroyed. So that's why he says there were four. And we can move on to the next verse. And his wife looked behind him and she became a pillar of salt. As we famously know, Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. Now, Lot was told not to look back in Pasuk Yud Zayin. It says, When they took them outside, that's the Malachim took Lot and his family outside. And he said, singular, Save your soul. Don't look behind you. For and don't stand in the whole plain. Okay, so now, unfortunately, his wife does look behind her and she gets punished. And we're up to. It. So Rashi, first of all, on the words, his wife looked behind him. What's the behind him? It would have been fine if it said, she looked behind her. She looked behind her. That, that's the way we speak. But she looked behind him doesn't make sense. Unless it says, as Rashi says, means she looked behind him, behind Lot. So you get the idea that they're all running away and Lot is keeping up the rear. Lot is at the back of the party. So when she looks back, she looks back behind Lot. And then, and she becomes a pillar of salt. Now, by the way, we'll get on to the pillar of salt in just a moment. But by the way, uh, 
was she aware of the prohibition of looking behind her? Because as we just saw in Pasuk Yudzayin, the Malach only said it to him. The Malach said to Lot, don't look behind. So how was she supposed to know that she wasn't allowed to look behind? Same question is asked about eating the fruit of the Eid Sadat, because only Adam was given the command not to eat the fruit. And somehow Chava was supposed to know that she wasn't supposed to eat the fruit either. So the simple resolution is, that's fine. Adam told Chava not to eat the fruit. And similarly, Lot told his family not to look behind. In which case it could be, I'm not sure this is right, but I saw a suggestion that this is being alluded to in Rashi. She looked behind him. She looked behind him. She ignored what he had told her. Or you can also say that if it tells you, as I said earlier, that they were going in a party and lots at the back, why is he at the back? Davka to make sure nobody looks behind so he can stop anyone looking behind. Anyway, uh, there's a problem with the word macharab. What does it mean behind him? Rashi tells us what it means. And then it says, and she became a pillar of salt. Says Rashi, with salt she sinned and with salt she was punished. So we know how she was punished with salt. How did she sin with salt? Omar La, he said to her, Lot said to Mrs. Lot, Give a little bit of salt to these guests. Now, we know that the one thing that was not allowed in Saddam was to have guests and to offer them hospitality. And Lot broke the rules. Now, we know he broke the rules when the two Malachim came to Saddam, because we know all about that incident. But maybe he broke the rules on a regular basis as well. So it's not 100% clear if this is referring to the time when the Malachim were there, and she says, he says to her, we need some salt for these particular guests, or maybe he said it at another time for other guests. But anyway, he asked her to give salt to the guests. Omra lo, she said to him, af even this bad custom you want to bring to, as, a, as a custom into this place. So she made her displeasure. She, she's a native of Saddam. She doesn't like hospitality like her townspeople. And she says to her husband, look, but I don't like your uh, breaking the rules. I don't like your serving guests. I don't like you asking me to get salt for the guests. And that is why, says Rashi, she was punished with salt. What has Rashi done? Rashi's done two things. The first is that he has shown how this is an example of Midah Keneged Midah. We know Hashem punishes Midah Keneged Midah. It's an important principle. We understand, but that's how Hashem works in the world. Why does Hashem punish Midah Keneged Midah? Well, in order that when we get a punishment, we should be able to have a little bit of an inkling why we've got the punishment. So if the punishment involves, I don't know, salt, we should think, aha, maybe I've done something wrong with salt and that will help me do teshuva. Hashem punishes midah, keneged midah, and Hashem has, uh, Rashi has shown that this is an example of such. But he's also done something else, which I think is more important. We probably all heard as children that Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. And I have to say, that if you read the text, it sounds a bit Harry Potter-ish. There's some spell. Don't turn, look behind you. And if you do look behind you, you'll get punished. Oh, look, she looked behind her and she turned into a pillar of salt. 
Rashi has shown that she's being punished not because she broke the rule of not looking behind. She's being punished for an intrinsic sin, a significant character flaw. Suddenly we understand this is justice. This isn't because she broke the spell in some sort of magic way. And suddenly we understand much more about how Hashem works in the world. That when people get punished, it's for a good, I mean, it's for a real reason, not just because they broke the rules and they look behind them. Okay, there is no Rashi on Pasuk Ke Kef Sayin, so let's just do it and then we'll finish for the evening. Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he had stood there before the face of Hashem. In other words, Abraham um, spent the previous day arguing with Hashem, asking Hashem to save the cities of Sodom, etc. Uh, if there were 50 Sadiqim, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, and then Abraham wants to know what happened. Did his prayers uh, resolve the issue? Did the cities get saved or not? So he gets up early in the morning. The Gemara says he was davening shacharis. We learn that he davened shacharis and instituted shacharis from this very pasuk. Um, getting up early in the morning is something Avram did, something we should all do. And then he looks out and sees what has happened. And that's the next pasuk. And that's where we'll take it up from next week. Thank you very much. I'm sorry for those listening live, but it's been a bit cold and a bit dark. Uh, but thank you for your attendance.